Hello and welcome to the Be In Bane podcast, the show that inspires black voices with inspiring black voices and celebrates stories of black excellence. Washing my hair this time. It looks neater. It looks neater. Yeah, I made sure I got it combed out a little bit. It's, it's, it's longer than it looks. Um, what was it? You got the shrinkage. Yeah, we got a little bit of shrinkage right now. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's quite long. <laughs> it is really long. It looks very soft as well. Yeah. I've got all her hair products yeah, in it. Yeah, using my hair products. <laughs> Castle oil and all that. Trying to think about the L- LCO method and the LO. <laughs> yeah, I literally just rushed because I had washed my hair. Um, and uh, yeah, I had lunch really quickly and then just had to try and twist it down because initially we weren't sure about having the camera because otherwise I would have had my curl formers in and then I was like, actually no, I don't think having curl formers on camera would be appropriate. So I just <laughs> flat twists instead. I asked her to help me um, cornrow it or do something with it and we put it in twists over Christmas break and um, unsuccessful attempt. I can't throw in rows, so. <laughs> oh, really? You're asking me for something that I can't do, so. <laughs> it didn't really uh, go. Awesome. No, it looks pretty neat. Wouldn't mind a barber's visit just to cut the sides down, but maybe I'll use your platform, which we'll talk, yeah. which we'll talk more about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Today, we're joined by sisters Nenya and Nerka Orji. They also happen to be twins, and whilst they're non-identical, they have a lot of similarities. Both of them went to Oxford University. Both of them studied engineering, economics and management. They've both forged impressive careers, one in consulting and one in finance. And they're also founders of NinjaFro, a digital platform connecting Afro hairstylists with consumers and customers, which we'll talk more about later. So, would you like to introduce yourselves to our listeners? Thanks for having us. Um, so I'm Neka. Um, as you mentioned, I'm one half of um, our sister's twins. Um, but yeah, I I finished uni about in 2010. So I did engineering economics and management at Oxford, where I started my career in consulting and spent about 10 years in management consulting. And then now I'm chief operating officer at a wealth management firm in the city. And hi, I'm Nenia. I had a very similar background to Neka in that we uh, we both studied engineering, economics and management at Oxford, different colleges, though, and for different reasons, which we'll probably come to. Um, I also started my career in um, management consulting. I did that mainly strategy and operations type consulting. And then I moved more into operational transaction services and then moved into private equity where I am now. Um, and our background is very global. We're originally Nigerian, but we were born in India and lived around the world and and have been in the UK for over 20, 24 years now. Okay. And so, so what's it like um, growing up as twins? I think it's going to be, this is going to be interesting. This is the first interview we've had where there's been two people on and you're both sisters. You both sound similar. So hopefully we can differentiate <laughs> between voices. Um, but... I have the more nasal voice. Than <laughs> Yeah, that was Nenya speaking for us. <laughs> we were trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, growing up as twins is interesting. I feel like it's a really hard question to answer because that's all we've ever known. Um, I I think that many people always ask us, so, so, you know, do you get that twin vibe when someone's felt something? And we don't really, because I think obviously we're really close because we've done everything together pretty much. Um, I think that... There are experiences that we've had that obviously bring us together stronger. And then there are things that obviously we're not completely the same people. Um, I always say it would have been more fun to be completely like identical twins. And then we could have more stories about, you know, swapping and um, swapping classes and so on and confusing people. But um, no, we've we've had, I think we've just been really lucky that we've kept our friendship and our sisterhood um, going strong um, into our 30s now. That's good. Are you competitive with each other? No, we're not competitive at all. I think we, we come from quite a large family and in our family, the sort of principle is like, you know, help each other succeed. And so we're always giving each other advice and 
um, and sort of helping, like if one person's in doubt about, you know, whether to go for a promotion or, or go for something that's a bit of a stretch goal, um, we're always sort of encouraging each other. And so it's not really like a, com- a competition against each other. It's maybe more of a competition with ourselves, ourselves like individually. Um, but yeah, as Nagi said, it's like all up until the age of 22, we were always, you know, same school, same cycle of friends, same university. We even got the same GCSE results in the same oh, really? subjects. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. So, um, yeah, we, we think very similarly, but we're also very different as people, which you'll probably be able to tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so what, are, what would you say are the kind of key differences between you I'm definitely more of the extrovert the thing is I I wouldn't necessarily call myself a huge extrovert but I think compared to Nanya I I am a bit more outgoing um and I think she she says I talk a lot more maybe too much (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's true I am more reflective um and I take some time to think before I speak and but actually I think it's sort of we've changed as well over time like a lot I think before I was 22 because I spent so much time with Nega and she was almost like the spokesperson for the two of us and so I got so used to being lazy and like then I would look out and reflect on like the environment and she could do the talking and so over over time I've had to sort of find my my own voice but yeah definitely I'd agree it's you know Nega's definitely more extroverted than I am. Nega are you the eldest as well Wim? No, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like that's the assumption people make that I'm the oldest. But the reason I think it actually doesn't matter is because she's only a minute older than me. So really, we're the, we're the same. We're the same age, yeah. <laughs> uh, Igbo culture. So we're Igbo, um, in, in one of the Nigerian tribes. And um, yeah, in our culture, the older twin tends to get more perks, which I completely disagree with, but the way life is. <laughs> okay so um i'd be quite interested to know a bit more about how you both ended up um at oxford's doing the same course then what did you both want to be growing up yeah i i wanted to be a doctor from the outset i thought you know i want to save lives i want to you know make a real impact and i sort of dream about being one of those um, people with like doctors without borders and just yeah just making a real difference and um, I guess, well, a couple of things happened. I did a, an internship, a summer internship. It was more work experience. And I was 16 at the time. And a lot of the doctors at the hospital were like, do not become a doctor. Just don't do it. And I thought, hmm, that's not really encouraging. And then <laughs> the other thing was that, um, uh, yeah, I'm not the most patient person. And um, I think, yeah, our mum highlighted that early on, that, you know, patience is sort of one of the key things, one of the key uh, characteristics that's needed to be a doctor so um but I was doing sciences and that was sort of my focus area um and I had done some languages as well but you know um more of the Nigerian culture came out there again so it was I wasn't going to go into um German or a single science subject at uni so um yeah that's sort of how I ended up going more the engineering route yeah. what about you Nania? Yeah, in my case, I always wanted to be an engineer for as long as I remember. I think I, I definitely remember age four um, wanting to be an oil and gas engineer, working on an oil uh, oil rig, just like my dad. And so he was the inspiration for me wanting to be an engineer. But I'd say more inspiration than him sort of suggesting it, because I never had a conversation that young with him saying, you know, think about engineering. Um, but yeah, it just always felt like the career I'd like to have, I, I wanted to have. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 from the age of four, probably till the age of 20, I was determined to be this oil and gas engineer. And um, I struggled at uni to get work experience on an oil and gas rig because most of those firms wanted me to have had like lots of experience before actually getting onto the oil rig. So I ended up doing something very different uh, which we'll get to but yeah my main reason for wanting to be an engineer was um to be like my dad and and I also just really loved maths and physics and everything that I needed to be an engineer so it was a straightforward choice. What was the conversation where you both decided that you're going to go to Oxford and do the same course? Yeah exactly like you uh, at Oxford you apply to a college or at least that's what we did 
And so again, we didn't really, although it feels like, you know, we both studied the same subjects as Oxford. So we must have planned that like years in advance. And, you know, as you've heard, like we chose different, like I always wanted to be an engineer and Michael wants to be a doctor. And so we sort of came in that route differently. And, and also when it came to the universities, we didn't really have like family members or men, or friends who had been to Oxford. So it wasn't something that had been in the, the making for many years. But as it came for me, at least to the time when we were thinking about the universities, I was looking for one where, you know, it would stretch me because I was doing quite well in the sciences. So I wanted to stretch um, course. And so Oxford seems to be like a natural fit. Yeah, I feel like um, I, I don't, a lot of these things now, the decisions that were made, it's quite hard to always remember why they were made and sort of the real reason. I, I, I remember thinking I wanted to go to Cambridge. Um, but then after going for a few open days, um, I, went, I went for an open day in Oxford and also I did a Head Start programme, which is like a two, sort of when you're in sixth form, you can do two days at the university and just get a bit more of an immersive experience. And yeah, when I um, went to Oxford, I then decided actually I do want to go to Oxford more than Cambridge. But, um, at that point, um, yeah, like Nanya said, we sort of, it wasn't really a strategic discussion either. It was sort of like, okay, the way I chose my college was basically, I looked at the number of engineering places. So um, Keeble was the college I went to, um, and it had it has the highest intake in terms of number of engineering um, students. It's also the one that's closest to the engineering block. So it's literally a walk away. And also it was red brick. I, and I don't know why, like it's one of those um, colleges that some people really hate it or some people love it. And I love the red brick. It's, um, it's one of the reasons I applied. So that was really the story. So it sounds like you both ended up in Oxford quite organically. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. yeah. So what was your experience of, um, you know, going to Oxford and also being, you know, black women at Oxford, given, you know, it's not hugely diverse? Yeah, I mean, for for us, we had gone to a school where we were, you know, one of a few black people. So it was predominantly white. I, I felt like the Oxford experience was intellectually challenging. I, I enjoyed that bit, but I think Nenya found it a lot easier than I did from an academic perspective. But I, I enjoyed that. Um, it was very clear that we were in a minority group because at the time, which was 2006 to 2010 um, the black representation was probably less than one percent so it was notably um, lacking I guess in black students um, at, at the time I, I was conscious of it but I don't think it racist probably become a lot more um, evident to me in the workplace than when I was at Oxford. Yeah um, anything to add uh, then yeah yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree with Megan. This, you know, coming, we had been at schools, not just the secondary school, but other schools where um, racial diversity was quite low. So it wasn't like we we were expecting something similar, but it was actually still a bit of a surprise to get to Oxford and realize, like, wow, there really aren't very many black people. But in although it was obvious that there was that lack of diversity, it didn't feel like it wasn't an inclusive place to be. Um, or that being black hindered us in any way or hindered me and that was my personal experience and actually the students like because we were both active members of like the African Society events we were both on the committee of the Afro-Caribbean Society and speaking with other students it didn't feel like they were having you know um, like discrimination as a result of being black but I think I think it does help in education that especially for a subject like engineering which we studied that it's like more about like there is a right and wrong answer like it's about how you perform and so it's more of a meritocracy and maybe that's that's why we didn't feel it as much. Do you do you think it maybe made it easier because you were there together I mean obviously I know you were in separate colleges and you know I'm sure you had you know to an extent independent lives and you know you know in terms of what you were doing but do you think being together and I guess how, knowing that you already had that support made it easier to navigate being mm. in that space yeah I think definitely I, I wouldn't even say it's just um in like uh, moving into Oxford I think when we first came to the UK we were 10 I think and we had just come from the Caribbean and we had such strong Caribbean accents Trinidadian accents 
and I remember like the first day of primary because it was I think year six maybe year five and um like all these people saying oh gosh what are you saying we can't understand you and and it's just like it's an accent it's not actually that we were speaking a different language but I think <laughs> Lenia and um our other sisters as well was really helpful sort of that um we always supported each other and continue to support each other so I think that was um probably the first time I felt you know notably like as an outsider um I think at school as well that sort of built our resilience because actually being um one of we probably had the most diverse year group at school with five or five black girls out of 60 um and that was almost unheard of in the rest of the school so I think all of those experiences built our um our not just resilience but you know our expectations of what it might be like to sort of navigate in a space that's um, predominantly white um so yes we had each other um but I think we had the sort of yeah the many years beforehand of being uh, minorities within a group so was your hair as black people ever something that you noticed as being different or being treated differently about growing up you know it's funny because um when we were younger, I don't think I noticed it. Too, I think when we lived in Paris, I, and this is when we, we were like four to six, um, I think there's a recollection that, you know, our hair was different. And then I remember we went on a holiday at um, uh, Rome, and I remember people stopping and like trying to touch our hair again. We were maybe six, seven, and I just, I was confused more than anything. Um, yeah. So I feel like at that, that in those, at those ages, I remember feeling that something's a bit odd. And then, um, you know, when we, because we had our hair natural up to the age of um, 11. And when we went to school, that's when we, um, Jerry called it, which was like the biggest mistake ever for my hair anyway. Um, it was just like everything just kept, kept falling off. And I remember feeling like that, that was when at school, we were, cause with Jerry curls, you have to put all this product that's quite sticky and, just remember everyone was saying, why is your hair so sticky? And like all of those comments that you just like, oh, I, I, it's not like I'm wearing this out of choice. It's because I need to find a way to, as an 11 year old, to manage my hair um, when I'm living independently at school. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, yeah, um, hair was something that I became more conscious of as I grew up. Um, and then, yeah, the university relaxed my hair and then, you know the cycle of growth um and then losing hair and then yeah so and then about four years ago I just decided to transition to natural my natural hair but um yeah we'll talk about that a bit more but that that was sort of how I thought about hair I didn't think too much about you know how are people perceiving me um until I got into the workplace I mean there were some frustrations along the way of people just trying to ask lots of questions and touch your hair and all of those things but it was sort of uh, minor compared to sort of the bigger uh, bigger discussions now around um, representation and hair and what that means. Yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, exactly. Like I said, it's, um, I actually think like when we were younger, I didn't really notice it either until probably, I think secondary school is the point where I, I felt like maybe because also I had, I had had my hair natural for so long and then secondary school was the first time I had seen my natural hair become something different with the chemical treatment that was Jerry Cars and then also like others the other girls in school were um you know asking lots of questions around it so yeah it's um yeah I, I'm not fully natural I'm natural and it's, it's my hair but I'm obviously as you could see I'm relaxing my hair still so how many how many different countries have you lived in by the way because I'm trying to build a picture you're talking about Paris you're talking India <laughs> Caribbean <laughs> wow <laughs> five no India we were there in India for two years again actually we had Indian accents when we watch home videos of ourselves (laughs) English and Indian accents and um uh yeah so India then we moved to Nigeria where we're originally from and then to Paris and then Trinidad and then the UK (laughs) yeah so out of interest you identify as Nigerian then I'd say, yeah, Nigerian, British Nigerian. And I think if when I'm in the UK, I feel I, I feel more Nigerian than I do British. Mm. When I'm in Nigeria, I feel still Nigerian, but 
I feel more like I, I think like I'm British. So yeah, I think it's and and lots of people have this sort of dual identity, and I think it's somewhere between. But it's definitely like Nigeria is a strong influence in in terms of culture as well. Um, yeah, I was born in Nigeria as well. I moved to the UK when I was eight, actually. So um, yeah, I think I think when being in the UK, I mean, I've been to Nigeria over the years, you know, um, but being in the UK, I feel kind of like just both. But I'm definitely aware that when I go to Nigeria, that I feel a lot more British and people can pick up on it and make comments and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <say> yeah. <laughs> There's like a difference that you there's something about you that just appears different that people pick up. Yeah. It's quite it's quite an interesting experience. But yeah, I relate to what you're what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's it's one of those really interesting things because our parents, because we lived in different countries and I guess they wanted us to have like clear roots. So we went back to Nigeria probably twice a year and then uh, it went dwindled down to like once a year and then there was a time where we had a bit of a gap of like three four years I can't remember exactly but uh, that's where we have that sort of even though when we go home to Nigeria it's not it doesn't always feel like you are one of the others um there because you you do sort of feel a bit like an outsider like, like you might try and blend in even when we try and speak Igbo our um native language um it's quite well first of all our accents aren't great but then the other thing is that uh, people can see right from the outset that you're not you're not really you know um you don't live there for full time so um yeah it's you feel a bit of both um british and nigerian um at various points yeah so um tell us tell us a bit about um ninja folk yeah, um, so like you said, Ninja Fro, what we um, were really looking for or looking to develop was a platform where men and women could go on, um, find hairdressers and salons, whether it's mobile hairdressers or um, salons, um, that could actually cater to their hair. I think we were tired of like, you can call somewhere and they say, yeah, yeah, we do Afro hair. And then you go in and they're like mm, well if your hair's that curly then we don't do it and it's that sort of frustrating experience that we were trying to address and just bring better access so essentially um, customers can go online onto our website um, and basically find a stylist who can do braids weaves, wigs we don't say it just has to be natural hair um, we've got relaxers on there as well so it's whatever um, choice people want to make they can find a hairdresser who um, is professional, focuses on quality, and can um, book an appointment um, on on the platform. So that's essentially what Ninja Fro is. Um, I also saw on your website that um, there's also the um, the offer to have like a, a consultation with someone who you know knows what they're talking about with regard with yeah. hair and you, you know. Um, and I thought that was really, really great because like my own experience, you know, is quite hard, actually, even though there's a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of African people, a lot of Nigerian people who, you know, who've done my hair over the years, braided it. But it's like they can braid, but it's like in terms of knowing what your hair needs um, to, to thrive, it's been really lacking. So I think it's great that you mm. you have that on there. I think I would really have appreciated you know, but, you know, having the opportunity to do that, actually, because I've just had to, you know, look at YouTube videos, <laughs> what different people are doing and trying out different things. Um, I think I figured yeah. out my own routine, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a struggle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's one of the things that really puts people off, actually, like um, either transitioning to natural hair or just maintaining um, going through a healthy hair journey, because you don't you almost don't know where to start there's so much choice with all these youtubers you're like oh rice water has really helped me or um something else has really helped and but everyone's hair texture is so different even on our scalps you know they're different parts i have sections of my hair that are almost a completely different texture to other sections and it's almost like really having someone who can guide you through that um and tell you you know these are the products whether it's about porosity whether it's about um, alopecia for some people so you know that's something uh, yeah similar to you I had to like do a lot of looking around but then um, found some really good hairdressers that um, are actually on the platform as well now and so yeah where, where did your idea come from 
The idea came from the fact that, you know, for a really long time, or as long as we've known, like the beauty experience um, for Black women in particular with Black people, it's, it's always felt like an afterthought. So, like, I, I remember a number of experiences just trying to get nude and in inverted commas nude tights for skin color tights um for um for, for myself and it would be like you know you see some people advertising that they they do the whole range they'll have a black model and then you go to the shop and you don't you don't see something for yourself or like makeup you know you go to the shop and they don't actually have the full range and it's really difficult to find something in your color and so it's always felt like being black has been you know like um, you're underserved and it's like the market is you're there as an afterthought or almost like a as a token like there'll be a token black person in in the range and so we've always wanted to do something that's addressed that sort of imbalance um and and then I, I think the moment for us was when we were on holiday and as Nang said we've always had natural hair and we didn't tend to experiment that much with all the like many different styles you can do with natural hair like braids or weaves or whatever and aged up until 10. But on that holiday, we decided we were going to, you know, try braids for the first time. Um, and and then so we had we had our normal, like our, the, style, the stylist we went to, like the hairdresser we used to go to. And we were then going through this exploration of who's the right person who can do the style of braids and can do it at the right time. And that was like a nightmare to have to go through. But it was on the, on the flight back from um, the holiday that we were like, actually, we should do something around Afro hair because this is such a like, it's a nightmare of an experience. Like you, you go through the pain of identifying the right hairdresser and then you have to go through another pain of finding all the products that you need for that experience. So it's a really like not a, a very integrated experience. And so it was pretty much, I think that flight where we decided we were going to do something in 2016. Um, but it took a while, a number of other things, the priorities that came up and um, eventually we we sort of launched in 2019 and started to develop um, with the team um, a, a website. No, I mean, the fact that you said that was like a three year gap and it's still relevant just shows how big an issue it is. Mm. Um, Again, I know for me, my, I keep, I've always kept my hair quite simple. I've never really done too much of different styles. Um, I mean, up until just before secondary school, my mum used to cut my hair and for her, it was just all off. And even now, <laughs> she, you know, you'll see my hair now, you always comment on it telling me to cut it. <laughs> and uh, like when we last went to see my mum, I was like, oh, can you can you corner my hair? She said, never. Yeah, she's got um, very traditional views in terms of um, the hairstyling. But I guess for me, even finding a barber, when I eventually started going to a barber, because I was like, I want to do something slightly different. Um, again, growing up where I did um, in Medway, there was there wasn't like that much choice around and I used to go into this barber with my friend and my white friend and they do a hair and I was never satisfied with how it looked until which is why I, I get like with with us men like once we find our barber we stick to that person like glue so <laughs> since I moved to um, northwest London I've had like a barber for the last 12 years now I think wow <laughs> really loyal and now he now he just I don't need to say anything he'll just do my hair how I want it to be done and yeah it's um I think the things that kind of stick out for me when it comes to black people's hair probably more for women as well is the amount of time it takes um and I think for a lot of people who maybe aren't black we don't realize just how much effort and time goes into the hair um, just to get it braided, like that, that in itself is a whole period. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, sometimes when I'm explaining, you know, to uh, my non-black friends, actually, you know, people take annual leave. Like you have a precious number of days in the year that's for annual leave, and some people have to book out that day just to get their hair done. To get yeah, first of all, you, as Nonia said, you know, you find the right person. You then um, have to go and get the products, whether it's the hair extensions or the actual um, chemical products or just the treatment products. And then in addition to that, you have to hope that the person you found, even though they might have come through a recommendation or you found them online, 
that they turn up at the right time and they give you the service within the time frame that they've indicated. And it's just a very, very lengthy and um, yeah, disaggregated experience, which means that um, there's a lot of potential within the space. It's a, it's a challenging market because there's so much to do from like actually understanding all the different types of hairstyles to to get the website to where it is. We really had to say, okay, what are the different combinations of hairstyles, whether it's the braid thickness, the length, um, the type of braids. And, you know, things are always changing before the sort of standard braids. Then there's box braids, triangle braids, passion twist. You know, there's so much change. And how do you get that level of specificity um, integrated in a platform? And this is where it's really different to other platforms that focus more on Caucasian hair, where it's sort of you can go and choose blow dry and that blow dry is going to be pretty much the same anywhere you get it. I'm sure there are some better blow dries than others. But, um, you know, with Afro hair, it's not that straightforward. There's so many different things that um, so many different treatments and services that you can have. Um, And, yeah, just trying to simplify the process, but still have that level of um, specificity so that people have real choice and can make decisions, informed decisions um, before they go and invest in their hair care. I think it's um, that specificity is really important because I don't know about you, but I know I've definitely had experiences where I found a picture of the hairstyle that I want. (laughs) And this is what I want. And the yeah, yeah, I can tell (laughs) And then they do, <laughs> you, you, when they finish, you, you literally want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you've spent hours and hours waiting to, for, to see the final product. And it's like the complete opposite of what you wanted it to be. It's, it's like, it's actually a huge investment of like time and like even just deciding what you're going to do in advance, take the time to get it done and, um, and caring for the hair. But I, I think Afro has just so beautiful because you can do so much of it and like, it's like when when we were looking through how we would sort of structure the styles on the websites, at some points it, it was actually quite exhausting when you look at like, if you take a salon and you look at the many things that they could do with Afro hair, then another salon, they all call things different ways, but there's just so much you can do with Afro hair. And it's like, it, yeah, it does. Um, I think sometimes that's also is the reason why people can be disappointed because everyone has speaks a different language in terms of, you know, some people call like banana braids, Cherokee braids or something like that. So we did a lot of, we spent a lot of time trying to like almost have one definition where you have a standard way where both the customer and the stylist would know what they're getting or what, what style they're doing in, 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 in a service. Yeah. yeah, it's a real emotional ro- roller coaster. I, I know, Ari, you were saying earlier about, you know, you show a photo of what you want and then you're like, yes, this is going to look good. And then I remember one time, it was through the Jerry Curl saga of our lives, where um, we literally just had to cut off all our hair, cut it all off. And I remember we, it was a weekend um, when we were back from school and we went back on the Sunday, we were dropped off and... Um, I I ran into my room. It was like a dormitory, and I like just closed the door. And I was so I I was crying. I was like, I can't go back to school with my hair looking like this. It was it was actually I didn't want to like make a over exaggerate it, but it was quite traumatic. Like you you feel like you've left school on a Friday. You're happy. You go into the hairdressers, and then you realize this uh, the treatment or the style. It's just so wrong that or your hair is cut off and then you have to face people with all those questions that follow. Um, so I think we've really, we've definitely had our fair share of, um, of experiences that have informed um, a lot of what we've built into Ninja for now. Okay. So how do you identify with the stylists that are on your website? So basically on our platform, we want stylists to care about the customer number one and as part of caring about the customer also really has had a lot of experience in, you know, doing lots of different styles. And so most of our, um, the stylists on our platforms come from recommendations. So um, it, these are people we trust who have had good quality experiences. And, um, and then often most in almost all cases, pre pandemic, we went to the salons ourselves, we tested some of their services and made sure that those were the types of things we would recommend 
um, sorry, types of stylists and services that we would recommend being put on the platform. So really, we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that, you know, quality is right. We un try to understand their vision and motivations for um, becoming a stylist and how they want to grow their business. And there have been some conversations where it just hasn't been the right thing. Like some people are more focused on making money over, you know, quality and taking time with the customer. And in those cases, it's sort of, it's clear that these are the types of people we'd have on our platform. And, and with the platform, we tried to, you know, in line with the sort of view about quality, try to make sure that some people have the transparency over like what the experience is and the ratings. And so we we monitor, you know, how people are reacting. And so far, like the feedback has been great, but if at any point there's a hairdresser that's consistently getting poor feedback, then we have a process where we can move them off out of the platform. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing idea. Um, I could see it sort of doing really well. Yeah. I mean, how, how's, the, how's the journey been so far since you, since you started? Uh, the journey has been interesting, I think, is the, the way to describe it. I think that, um, as Nanya mentioned earlier, we actually launched in last uh, 2019 was when we set it up. So we started the tech um, development on the platform. But when we actually launched was July last year, 2020. So mid-pandemic. I say mid-pandemic. We don't know when the middle is but it was sort of after the first lockdown was lifted um and uh we we got bookings we had interest and um the feedback as Nenia mentioned was really positive but I think what's been really hard on so far and this isn't unique to us many other small businesses and also larger businesses going through this but how do you actually start to gain momentum um when there's sort of the stop and start of lockdown and um um sort of social distancing measures so I think for us it's been it's been bumpy but it's not to sort of take away from the core value that the platform still provides I think many people still are looking for hairdressers I there's so many forums where you see um, black men black women parents who are looking for you know who can come and do their children's hair and so we know that the demand is out there. It's just making sure we do it in a safe way. So until um, lockdown um, measures are lifted, we're sort of in this space of, you know, still trying to raise awareness, but it's hard to actually build that momentum. I mean, from what I've seen, I could see there's a lot of passion behind it as well. So for you both, this isn't just a business idea. Like it's something that I think is really important as we've really discussed today already. Um, for the sort of Afro hair community um, to have something like this. And I noticed on your blog, you write a lot of articles um, about it. On your Instagram, you're constantly sharing insights, which is great as well. Um, so it kind of leads me on to kind of the next kind of bit of a conversation, which is maybe to explain a little bit more about why there's this discrimination um, when it comes to black people's hair. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I think everyone... I, I can't say everyone, and I definitely don't claim to speak for everyone, but I think many people with Afro hair definitely have a story, um, whether it's in the workplace or at school, where they felt that they've been treated either unfairly or they just don't feel that um, it's been an inclusive environment fully in terms of their hair. And um, the, I guess there are various reasons. Um, I think there's a study that said that uh, black women, this is focused on black women, are one and a half times more likely to be sent home from work um, as a result of their hair relative to white women and their appearance. So it's not just something in our heads in, in that sense. It's actually the studies that show that um, there's an issue. And I think it goes back to, you know, what does um, professional look like? We actually wrote an article on this, a blog on it. But what does professionalism actually mean and how is it defined um, in a similar way? to you know how a beauty standards defined which has a more Caucasian lean or um, angle to, to that definition of beauty and I think the same thing happens in workplaces so the straight hair is expected you know I think one of the, the there was a, a, a PSA with Gabrielle Union KK Palmer and they did something with glamour and they basically interviewed um, African-American women and said you know what are the things that you've heard in the workplace about your hair and some people saying your hair should be scraped back, don't leave the curls out, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And they, these are sort of um, 
just negative negative views of how accurate hair should be seen um, and what professionalism looks like. So uh, I think it's quite a, a complicated topic, but in some ways it should be very simple. It's we have our hair and we wear it naturally and our natural hair doesn't fall down. It uh, defies gravity, as we say, and that's beautiful in itself. So I don't see why it is such a loaded topic, but I do see why in many ways. I, I, I can personally speak. I wasn't um, very, I didn't want to say I wasn't confident to wear my natural hair at work initially. But um, in my first 10 years of, no, maybe eight years of working in the city, I had relaxed hair and I felt that it wasn't conforming, but I just felt, okay, might be easier to look after. And, you know, most people I see who are, see me in the city don't have natural hair but I think as my confidence grew um, and I became more senior myself I then thought actually I do want my natural hair and I, you should hear me sometimes I, I just love natural hair and many things so I'm sometimes a bit too obsessed with it but I just love the texture I love just the, vers uh, the versatility of natural hair um, so yeah I think it's there, there are lots of points in there that I've mentioned, but um, I definitely think that there's um, a lot about just giving people the right, and we shouldn't even be given the right. It's just making sure that everyone feels comfortable that they can wear the ha their hair however they choose to. It's really important because um, I think, I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, but just thinking about myself, like it's taken me a while. To, like I, My hair's been natural for a number of years now, and I've had quite a complicated relationship with my hair. And like before I used to braid it all the time, I'd literally take the braids out and then a day later I'd be braiding my hair again. I didn't, I didn't value it. And I don't feel I was, not that I wasn't, I was taught to not value it, but I don't think I was taught to value it. Like a lot of, you know, um, parents now try to teach their, you know, black children to value their, their hair. But I got to the point and I was like, no, like I want to look after it, relaxing. I had the jerry curls as well. That didn't work. My, I had to cut all my hair off. <laughs> <laughs> But I got to the point where like I valued it and I go to work, well, when I was going to work with my hair, my hair natural. And I haven't really had any sort of experience of discrimination at work, but I have, I, I do remember one like auntie saying to me, oh, is this how you have your hair when you go to work? Like you're going to have to change it. Mm. Um, I can't go to work like that. And I, I didn't say anything, but I remember thinking, why not? And the thing is, is like when I have had my hair natural, other people have actually, other black women have actually said, oh, your hair, your hair looks really lovely. Like it's so mm, nice yeah. with natural hair, which kind of in, encourages you. So, yeah, I think that discrimination is particularly hard um, if you also have a difficult relationship with your own, with your own hair. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that there's so much. Um, it's really good to see whether even if it's not in the workplace, but um, people walking around London or other parts of the UK with their natural hair. I think there's obviously the natural hair movement has really, um, I don't know if it's blown up is the right word because it's not a trend. It's just more people have felt more comfortable about embracing um, their natural curls. And I think that's really positive for the next generation. So how they view their hair will be very different to how we view it. Viewed it. Because before I transitioned, I remember that or in the early phase of my transition to natural hair, it was, uh, there was a lot of focus on by hairdressers, actually, who were like, oh, your hair's so difficult. Oh, gosh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or more negative um, words and language being used. And, um, yes, I have very tight, forcey coils. But at the same time, I find it so easy now. Now I understand my hair. I know exactly what products I should use. And it's not difficult. It's actually pretty straightforward. But it, it takes that sort of learning um, and also yeah. seeing other people do it. And that inspires because actually one of my friends, um, she had transitioned like maybe four years before I did. And I just remember seeing her hair and thinking, oh, gosh, I wish I could have hair like that. And then she was like, just do it. And so I think a sort of role modeling that behavior and then being inspired by others is, the, is a big thing. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's definitely, um, especially if people are um, feeling inferior because of their hair, I think there's definitely this concept in society or has been in the past where, you know, having 
it's also, I guess, black beauty being inferior to other types of beauty. But I think, um, as I as I said earlier, like Afro hair is just so versatile. There's so much you can do with it. And I think actually, although I really love the natural hair movement, I think there's there's sort of almost like such a focus on natural hair that people forget that there's diversity within Afro hair. And if you choose not to have natural hair or you choose to chemically treat it or do like a silk press so it's straighter or you choose to color it a certain way, it doesn't mean that you've, you're not proud of black beauty. And, and I think that's what we try to emphasize on the platform. A lot of people would ask, you know, ninja fro, does that mean it's only for people with an Afro with natural hair? And we said, no, we're for all types of things you can do with Afro hair because you know, in my case, I relax my hair for convenience. I'm definitely proud to be black, but it's, I also value my the time and I, I value the fact that in the mornings it takes me two minutes to get my hair ready. Whereas I, I know it takes like a bit longer in the mornings and like, we debate this a lot, but it, it definitely um, takes more energy. And so I think it's just important that people have somewhere where they can see, like they can get inspiration in terms of what can they do with their afro. They can choose one day to have it natural. They can choose to have it relaxed. They can choose to color the one day, but it's it's really about providing a platform where you can get all the diversity and beauty you can out of your afro. Yeah, and it's, it's about choice at the end of the day. So if you have your hair, relax or you do a silk press the point is you've chosen to do that because you want to do it not because you feel you're 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 not going to fit in within your work place so okay I have to relax my hair and that's where the freedom is isn't it you can change it depending on what you want but it's about being able to have that ownership and autonomy as how you um as to how you wear your hair yeah and that's one of the things that was really core to our mission as Nanya said it's like making sure we build a community that people feel like they can join and they won't be judged because that I, I know that some people with natural hair as much as I love natural hair I also completely see why Nanya's, uh, Nanya relaxes her hair but uh, there's a lot of I don't want to say there's shame um, uh, in having relaxed hair but some people use the language where they try and make people who relax their hair feel a certain type of yeah. way um, so I think yeah. what I'm really trying to do is the community is for everyone no matter where you are on your hair journey um, that you're able to find something, whether it's a stylist, whether it's content logs um, or the um, videos that we post about, you can find something for you with um, on Ninja Pro. So that's really what we're aiming for. That's, that's awesome. And I, I saw a news story. Um, it was, what was it? The girl's name was Ruby Williams, I think. Basically, she got an out-of-court settlement because her school has sent her home having her afro hair they said it was too big and in the end she actually won the court case for it and I think that's really powerful because mm. I know myself growing up um literally if you tried anything like that you'd be sent home and and until you'd cut your hair you'd, you, you wouldn't be allowed back into school and wh when you think about it now it just sounds so silly doesn't it it sounds it sounds nonsense and I'm glad that things like that are now kind of I'm hoping changing I mean have you have you seen both kind of stories? Do you think things are changing or do you think there's still a lot of education to go in terms of people who, are, who aren't black and educate them about actually it's okay to have your hair as an Afro because it's just natural? Yeah, I think things are changing. I think there's still a very long way to go. Um, like in the US with the Crown Act, still only seven states mm. of the 50 have made it legal, um, have made it illegal to discriminate against hair. So with 43 states left to go, there's still a long way to go. Same in the UK, where um, there have been a couple of petitions last year to change um, the UK Equality Act to include hair um, as part of sort of um, a not a, a, you can't discriminate against hair. Um, and a few other things to make sure that hair, Afro hairdressing is part of the core hairdressing curriculum, because at the moment you can basically say you're a qualified hairdresser and you're qualified in just Caucasian hair and yet you are given sort of the accreditation and certificate to say you can do hair mm -hmm. so I think there are lots of things that are changing which are good but um, without wanting to be sort of um, pessimistic I think that there's such a long way to go because it's such a, a, a delicate subject for many reasons the history of hair so actually getting the language right around hair, making sure that um, things like, um, so the younger generation actually feel confident and proud 
of their roots and everything that it means to be a black boy, girl. You know, it, it's just making sure you all, uh, everyone feels really confident in um, what black beauty is in terms of um, also being able to access services that help you um, manage or treat your hair as well. So, um, yeah, it's positive. We're heading in the right direction, but there's more to do. On the flip side of it, um, I'm not sure. Did you see towards the end of last year the story about Ivy Park? Yeah, so Ivy Park, I think it's one of Beyonce's companies. Um, yeah. They put an ad out um, across their social media, um, and it was two, I think it was two Russian girls that uh, were kind of, they had their hair, um, I think yeah. one had it in a um, black style, and they faced a lot of backlash about it. And, I mean, I understand the backlash, I understand why people weren't happy with that. And then in response, one of the models was basically saying, well, I don't see what the issue is. You have black women who wear wigs and weaves and straighten their hair like mine. So why can't I do the same with their culture and like appreciate their culture? So, I mean, what's, what's your take on that? What, what do you think the difference is there between, I guess, a black woman wearing a wig um, versus a white person, you know, doing their hair in an Afro style? Yeah, it's one of those really sensitive um, topics. I, I think that there's, as as we said, you know, there's so much beauty in Afro hair. So it's no surprise that people want to try the braids and um, weaves and everything else that comes with Afro hair. I think, obviously, hair isn't just hair in many ways. It's about culture and what it represents to um, lots of people. So I think it, it really depends on the context. I don't think I have a straight answer, like no one should ever wear braids unless they're black. I, I don't think that's necessarily the approach, but I still think that there's there needs to be an emphasis placed on actually the, the culture that comes with hair, not just, oh, I, I feel like having braids one day and then I'll uh, sort of disregard every other aspect of that culture. Mm. So that's sort of my my view on it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a, it's. I can definitely see why there's anger and, um, you know, sometimes there's fr- frustration. I think it's difficult though to have a counter arguments when you know someone says, "Oh, but why do you have like a blonde wig?" or you know, "Why is this?" It's difficult to, and I, I don't really feel that we've got a voice around, you know, why people feel like it's so wrong. I think it's that feeling like it's appropriation. Um, but I also, I also recognize like when when people do wear hairstyles, it's very difficult to say that I'm wearing a hairstyle which has history and there's an in a, in a photo to capture all of that it's very difficult so to be for us to be constructive and say you know why we are upset or annoyed about seeing you know someone wearing a, a style it's um I think we probably need to find a voice around what they can do differently before you know coming with anger but but yeah I um I think that, that, you know, there is the variety and there's, as Nang said, there's just so much in Afro hair that's to be admired. And and it's great, I think, where people are seeing, you know, all the beauty in Afro hair and trying to take some, or at least trying to not take it and claim it as their own, but to try and, and copy it in a way um, or have it and experience it as well. Um, yeah, it's difficult. It's one of those hairy topics, really. Yeah, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, my my view on it is, and it, it's the same with like a lot of things to do with culture. I mean, we're talking we've talked about natural hair so much already. There's a reason why there's a movement right now. There's a reason why people are becoming proud of it again, um, because historically in the past, and not even that far in the past, we were made to feel inferior because of our hair. So when you see um, black people do hairstyles which um, represent sort of Caucasian hair. That was because we had to do that to either fit in or to blend in or to get forward. Now we're, I guess, in a place where we're recognising that we don't need to um, have our hair like that. And so a lot mm-hmm. of people don't, but that's, that's years of, you know, your culture and who you are being kind of chipped away at. So the fact that black women wear wigs and weaves that's that's almost come out of um you know how how they've been treated in the past and that's kind of how they now identify but at the same time when a white person now starts doing afro hair 
they they didn't have that struggle mm. right um if you understand the struggle that black people have had to try and have their natural hair and all of that um if you don't understand that struggle and you try to replicate that hairstyle it's almost um for me it's almost just like negating that whole experience and i i think that's why i think um at least from my perspective that's why it triggers me a little mm. bit because it's like you're doing something without understanding the history and the context behind it you're doing it because now it's fashionable and cool but what if you know having black hair still wasn't fashionable cool you wouldn't be doing your hairstyle like that so it's taking what they want from a culture without mm. understanding the full picture yeah and uh, yeah i i can see that argument i guess it's that's then assuming that everyone who takes on that style is coming at it from that angle with lack of understanding. So if that's the case, obviously that's different. But if there's someone who's actually understood the history, they've done their research, they understand, they definitely will not have shared that struggle because the struggle is one that we've faced. But I think that if it's a case of understanding which you refer to, then it's, yeah, how, how do you assess whether through an Instagram post, whether someone's really tried to do that research, that understanding? I don't know, it's so context, it really depends on how it's positioned. If it's just like donning an afro, that's completely different to, I, I see it as different to someone, you know, going and having braids done for their holidays. So it's linked, but it's quite different to put on an afro wig. And- yeah, I think that's a, that's why I, I find it difficult to rush sometimes to judge because I know over the summer or a few months ago there was this big thing with Adele sort of with her hair braided and then wearing like the Jamaican flag bikini and people were saying how do you know blah 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 what's it like and then actually when she responded and her friends responded it it showed like from the response that actually she's someone who really gets black culture and it's not like she was doing it to take it and claim it as her own. But I think if if you don't know the story and you don't know the reasons why people are wearing it, it's very difficult to rush to judge and say it's appropriation. And, and so maybe that's why I, I take a step back and I think the more people wear, you know, the Afro hairstyles, um, the more it becomes acceptable and even seen as like the standard for beauty, the better it is actually for black beauty and um, and ha- having the situation where there's no discrimination around hair. So. Yeah, I, I I prefer to sort of hold judgments and see case by case, but I definitely I can I can definitely see the the arguments given like there's so much history behind um, Afro hair and um, the position of inferiority. Yeah, it's it's, it's a it's mm. a tricky, interesting topic. One where yeah, um, I'm sure people can have debates for days and days and <laughs> literally not come to an agreement on really. Um, but I guess the core message is that we should be proud of our hair, right? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's being proud of our hair, being proud of what it means to us and our stories and our history. So yeah, there's there's a lot to be said for Afro hair. So yeah, that's why we're excited to 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 be um, focusing on Ninja Fro and really trying to change the narrative around the Afro hair experience. Great. So what's what's next? Yeah, so Ninja Fro, we're really excited uh, because this is something we know from the time, the sort of the window when there wasn't a lockdown. We know it's something that people really value. Both the stylists who are trying to run and grow their business, they value being able to have access to Afro hair customers. And and likewise, on the customer side, they, they really value it. So we see like this is serving the underserved market that we talked about. And um, and post-COVID, the focus would be on continuing to drive market awareness and raise awareness of what NinjaFro is, launching an app which has been developed because obviously the mobile experience is really important so people can, can conveniently find their stylists on the go and book. And then I think longer term, just moving to a fully integrated hair experience for customers and stylists with a really like a vibrant community around Afro hair. Our vision is that when people think of Afro hair, they think of Ninja Pro. So we become synonymous with an Afro hair. Like if you want to know, you know, how do I handle this texture hair? It's Ninja Pro. If you're thinking about, you know, going to a wedding and you want like some some gele for the, the hair or you want something around your hair, like an accessory, again, you think of Ninja Pro. If you've had like some hair loss, again, you think of Ninja Pro. So we just wanted to be like the place where people with Afro hair 
can go learn be inspired meet other people and really like you know be proud of the the black beauty and black success i think it's great and amazing what what you're doing Thank you so much. And thank you also for all the work you're doing on the BNBAME. I think it's really great to you know, just talk about being black and what that means in all um, different spheres of life. So, yeah, thank you and well done as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really, really lovely speaking to you both. Like, I've really, really enjoyed talking about <laughs> black hair and um, black beauty. So can you, um, can you tell us where, we can, um, where the listeners can fi- find you online? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you again. If you're looking for us on social media, um, we are at NinjaFro HQ um, and that's on Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn and Twitter. We're not very active on Twitter, but bear with us. <laughs> we'll get there. But at NinjaFro HQ, that's our handle. And our website is www.ninjafro.co.uk. Okay, thank you. Thanks so much. So, yeah. and also thanks to our listeners for today. And please remember to follow us on Instagram at the Being Bane. Until next time. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye. Thanks.